0: was almost exactly one year ago today that I came down with the glorious disease known as COVID. Some of you have had that unique experience as well. (laughs) No, thank you, I hear. Yes, indeed. And I think one of the most difficult parts about having COVID or, or anything that hangs on for a while, is you wonder, what's next? Is this ever going to end? And then and then you get to the end, perhaps as I did, and you think, am I ever going to be able to do the same things again? Will I ever have strength and energy and be able to breathe right again? For some of you, it's not COVID, but you'd fill in that blank with any number of other things. Right? And the most difficult part about all that wondering, all that why, is not really knowing, isn't it? See, there's this double edged sword of the future. Right, on the one hand, we want to know, don't we? We want to understand, okay, what's this going to be like and how and when? We hope it'll be good. If not, at least we think. Well, I'll I'll be better prepared. I'll I'll plan. Doesn't always work that way, by the way. Sometimes you do know something's coming and it really doesn't help. Uh, On the other hand, it's the unknown that seems to get us so often. It's when we don't know, when we aren't sure what's coming or when it will change or how it will end. And this is the struggle of Being human beings, this is the struggle of being not God. Would it be truly best if we knew all that he knows? i always reminded of the Garden of Eden with questions like that. Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. They gained knowledge, and what did that knowledge do for them? Nothing good. Here today, we have the second part of what I'm calling the the last will and testament of Jacob, also called Israel. And in many ways, this is not just going to be a legal document, it's it's actually a prophecy of sorts. He goes through each of the sons and, and he says something about them, something of their future, something that's going to direct their lives they're going to get dare we say a, a little tiny piece of knowing the future for some of them this is going to be a great blessing or at least an encouragement for others well I suspect it's going to be much harder for them to deal with what's said right this is how Ultimately, here as we pick up the second part of Jacob's will, we are going to see God's grace, God's mercy, God's care, how God deals with sin, and what the Lord is doing through it all. So if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 49, very close to the end of the book, the end of this journey that we have been on for quite some time. Genesis chapter 49 While you're turning there, let me go ahead and open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before your word, would you give us focus and attention? Would you keep us from being distracted by the things of the world, by the very questions or plans we have even later today or this week? Would you keep us from being weighed down and therefore not seeing what your word says because of the burdens that we have brought into this room this morning? And instead, Lord, would you open our eyes that we would see? Would you open our ears that we would hear way today, not simply having spent time singing wonderful praises or in good fellowship, but that we would walk away transformed because we have encountered you by your word. Work that into us, even in passages like this that are perhaps a bit more obscure Places like this that are probably not our favorites, not our life verses, and yet it is here that we need to see you. It is here that we need to meet with you. In Christ's name, amen. Genesis chapter 49. Then Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together. That I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminent. Because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. You went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their council. Oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men. And in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. We begin with a curse. Sometimes this is the way a last will and testament turns out, isn't it? Uh, Hopefully for none of you, but this is usually the turning point in You know, shows, well, like the one that I've recently started re-watching, those of you of a certain generation. This is a plot device that comes up in, yes, murder, she wrote, all the time, when the last will and testament is more of a curse than a blessing. Well, so it is here, right? Largely, this is going to work from the, the oldest son to the youngest, and so we begin with Reuben. And it really is a curse. One of the first lessons we need to keep in mind in passages like this one is that the context is everything. And by context, I mean the background. I mean the the story of how we got up to this point. Because if you don't know the history, well, then you really don't know much of anything, do you? That, by the way, if you want to, little star to put in your notes. That is the key to all biblical understanding. Once you see the context, once you read the verses around whatever passage you're looking at, then a lot of of what we might think of difficulties, misunderstandings, misinterpretations, those melt away. It's an amazing thing. And so here the context is that Reuben Though the oldest brother, and so at the time, he should be the one who gets the double blessing, the the honor. He should be the one who in essence replaces his father in the family line. Well, instead we read that he has done very little to lead well. Even when it came to Joseph, whose story we've been following now for so long, Reuben gave only the most half-hearted attempt at saving him. From the cruelties of his other brothers. When push came to shove, he still went along with their plan, which, if you remember, ended up in his being sold as a slave into Egypt. He still then, Reuben did, went back to his father, lied, said that Joseph had been, you know, torn by wild animals, and oh, you know, isn't this just a tragedy of of living where we do? Not only that, But as we read in these very passages, these chapters in Genesis, there was also a particularly uh, unsavory part of Reuben's story when he slept with one of his father's wives. No wonder Jacob doesn't see him as fit to receive the the choice blessings of the family. Instead, what he receives is what he's due. It's the curse that he's owed. We see that again as we move from Reuben's story of woe to Simeon and Levi's, the next oldest brothers. Here's another place where the context is essential. You might remember earlier in Genesis that it was Simeon and Levi who avenged their sister when she was defiled by someone outside of the family. And yet in their vengeance they went far beyond anything the evidence or the law or justice could support. And that led to a massively violent and death-dealing response, even to some people who were innocent. And it's because of that background that Simeon and Levi are here also judged unworthy of receiving the best blessings of the family. Ultimately, their inheritance will be carefully minimized and plotted out to keep either of their own family lines from becoming too powerful and, at least in Jacob's thinking, first three brothers teach us a lesson. Sin has consequences. Each of these brothers is now paying the price years later for their actions. You know, these days we we tend to think that delayed justice is no justice at all, right? We're even told this in a lot of the The social media movements, a lot of the complaints, a lot of the issues and the things that our nation is dealing with right now. And and I understand that sentiment, at least in, in one sense. And yet, the Bible says it doesn't always work that way. What any of us, including you or I, think we've gotten away with is nothing more than deceiving ourselves. And there will be justice. I'm reminded of that famous line from the Count of Monte Cristo. Do you remember in the prison? God will give me justice. And you may not see it in your own life, just as groups all around this nation may not see it in their own lives. But I tell you this there is ultimate justice that is coming. The Lord sees, he knows what better reason could we have than to turn to him and cry out for forgiveness and for salvation because apart from the Lord's grace well a curse a curse like these given to Reuben Simeon and Levi that's all any of us would deserve And God's grace sometimes he even still lets us bear the consequences for our sin. And he does that not to not to be the, you know, the sort of God who's who's up in heaven waiting to just zap people that were told of. No, he does it to humble us, to remind us that he is the only hope that we need to turn to our Lord day in and day out. My dear church, sin has deep consequences. Never treat it lightly. It cost the Son of God his very life to redeem us from it. It's not something small as we see here. Now, if that was the only message, this would be uh, quite the will and testament, wouldn't it? Thankfully, it's not. Look at verse 8, and we're going to see something different. Judah... By the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than. If, if sin has consequences we also need to see that it can be forgiven by the Lord and forgiveness genuinely is powerful enough to change somebody take as your example Judah he started out rotten and plotting against Joseph to how he wickedly treated Tamar his daughter-in-law uh, Judah frankly was gunning for first place when it came to the uh, wickedness and debauchery prizes. And yet he was changed. Do you remember how? He was changed because God let him feel a measure of his guilt. And that change resulted in him being willing to take Benjamin's, the youngest brother's, place, as a slave when Joseph put the brothers to the test. That came completely out of nowhere, it seemed. And yet it wasn't to God. And that brings us to the second thing that we need to see when we come to passages and places like this one. Realize these words aren't simply dusty, you know, legal documents. This isn't simply a a history part of the book of, oh, yeah, isn't that great for, for all of Jacob's sons? No, instead, these words speak of lives, And in Judah's case, it's a life that's been changed, that's been transformed by the Lord himself. Jacob prophesies in these verses, Judah's family line will end up bringing forth great and amazing things for God's people. First, in the person of King David, the greatest king throughout all of Israel, at least in Old Testament times, the one who conservative Jews would still point back to today as the king par excellence, the one who set the standard and yet David, as we know, he didn't get it all right. He had his own sin. And more importantly then, in King David's line, and thus in Judah's line, we are pointed to someone even greater because we're pointed to Christ himself. God uses broken people to bring about his good plans Good plans that result in the salvation of all who would call upon the Messiah. And those good plans are brought through the line, the family, the genealogy, the lineage of Judah. Isn't that amazing how God would use someone so broken and yet bring about such great good? All of this leads us to see that forgiveness really does change people. It changed Judah. It can change you. Have you gone to the Lord and admitted your sins? Is that something that you have done? Not just something you've thought is a good idea. Not just something that, okay, you know, I'm I'm not perfect. I mean, have you gone to the Lord? Have mercy on me, a sinner. Right, have you owned up to what you've done? And as we see in the Lord's prayer, are you willing then to forgive others as God has forgiven you? So just as you trust the Lord to deal with your sins mercifully, will you do that with others around you, with one another, even in this very room? Right. This is the measure of whether we rightly understand what Christ has done to miss this, we willing to extend the forgiveness we have been given to others? Do we want them to be transformed just like we have been, just like we have seen Judah has been? Judah's transformation leads to a family line that brings about the renovation that we all need, the transformation brought about. Then why wait? Today, call upon him. Today, say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, I, I trust Jesus as my Savior. Work in me to follow him. Work in me to change me. Right, That is how you can have this kind of transformation, this kind of joy, this kind of eternal life. blessing. Thirdly, we move to, well, frankly, kind of a a mixed bag, don't we? Look at verse 13. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. What does this mean? These really are kind of mixed blessings. You know, in some cases, their their destinies seem to be related, maybe just to to some aptitudes, some, some interests that the sons have shown cases frankly the interpretations are not so clear that said though there is a correlation between the vast majority of what we read here and then the later history of these tribes in Israel and in this I want us to see that blessings like these are are one part prophecy and one part poetry I mentioned the prophetic part earlier beginning, where I said that this was going to speak toward the future, here I want us to see the poetic part. Right? There is a meaning, there is a purpose given behind the words offered to each of these brothers. You know, I've mentioned in the past that I think for most of us, we're, we're not too terribly comfortable with poetry, at least not biblical poetry. Probably the only thing we're least comfortable with is the Old Testament prophets, so this is an area of the scriptures that we struggle with. These are hard to understand. What do we do with that? I mean, the obvious solution, of course, is that we need to read more of the Bible's poetry and bring it to the Lord. Lord, help me to understand. Give me, what is this? What do I do with this? It's God's word. He knows what it means. He'll reveal all that is necessary if we trust him. But beyond that, I also want to call us to recognize something very deep that is revealed here. God is in control. You and I might struggle to discern these verses, and yet God doesn't. He gave them, after all. So our problems, our misunderstanding, dare we admit, our boredom. With passages like these, that's all on our shoulders. That's all our issue, not God's. His Bible isn't somehow deficient or unclear. It's not as if, well, you know, God, you just need to kind of rewrite this now for, for our times. No. It's our own understanding that's not as sharp as it should be. Right. This then calls us to humility, yours and mine, as we approach God. Because if we look to the Lord with passages like these, if we do our due diligence and and, and spend time in his word, wanting to understand, wanting to be teachable, then ultimately, I think that we will see what God is doing. Here, you'll see things such as, well, Zebulun's land will end up having a historical basis. There is going to be a connection there with ships and trade and travel, right? That's going to happen. You're going to see that the Gadites will end up having a reason to become quite skilled in battle, which is what they're known for later. This is going to come up in their own history again and again, right? And so on. You're going to see things like that. But in your study, I want you to also recognize something even bigger, even greater than just nice little historical details. God can give Jacob these prophecies because God himself has determined how things will be. We serve a God who is greater than our sin, who is bigger than our circumstances, right? That's been the major theme that we have seen most recently in Joseph's story story well know that he even claims this for himself we're going to come to that here in coming weeks he tells his brothers what you intended for evil god intended for good that can only be true if god really did intend it if he really was in charge of it and it's true not just of joseph but we've seen with each of the patriarchs leading up to him you know some of them jacob being one It seemed like they were doing all they could to live life on their terms. And yet the Lord used even them, even in ways that I can only imagine Jacob would have been surprised by. Because God is God. Some of us fear that truth. And I get it. There's all those philosophical questions of, well, what does this mean? And and, are my choices my own? and, And... get that, but here's my question. When the Bible keeps showing us this again and again and again, when the Bible calls us to pray to our God so that he would do the work, doesn't he have to be able to do that kind of work? Doesn't he have to be in charge? Ultimately, throughout the scriptures, this picture of a sovereign God, it's a good picture. And I mean that not just with my summary, I mean, read through the scriptures, you'll see any time it presents God as being in charge, it's not meant to be a fearful thing. It's not meant to be this terrible thing. It's meant it seems like, repeatedly, to be a blessing. That having a sovereign God is good news. Because we need an all-powerful, all-knowing God to rescue us from our sin. I wonder, do you believe in that kind of God? Whatever word you use, I I understand. There's baggage with lots of words. But do you believe in this powerful of a God, in this good of a Savior? In one who intends good so that all who call upon him would enjoy him forever. That's the picture that we're seeing here. And frankly, that's really what Joseph and Jacob are telling us again and again, that this God, our God, is a good God. Now there's one final part to this last will and testament. You find it starting in verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey. Blessings. Now we end with what I would title a reckoning as we come to these two final brothers. Uh, let me start with Benjamin because his, I think, is a bit curious. I mean, he was the favorite after Joseph was thought dead. Remember there, that was the whole, you know, kind of tension point with. Okay, we need food, but you know this this ruler in Egypt isn't going to give us food unless we bring Benjamin, the youngest, with us. But you know he's Dad's favorite, and Dad doesn't want him to leave the house. Right? You remember that? And so now here we come, and you would think he would have a bit more, uh, well, a bit more blessing than this, and yet he doesn't. In some ways, I think that's almost to highlight how great of a blessing Joseph receives. He gets the longest blessing given to any brother throughout this passage. That is what we see for Joseph. In fact, uh, the word blessing and related ideas in these verses are used here more often than with any other brother, even Judah. That's why I call this something of a a reckoning. Joseph had been treated horribly by his family, losing literally decades of his life that were spent outside of God's people to whom God's promises had been given. And yet here, and with Joseph's own sons, as we read last week, we see that God has not overlooked him. And I think that's more important than we all your friends around you everything's turning up great they're the ones that have you know kind of the American dream the health, the wealth, the picket fence the 2.5 kids and a dog new cars and you wonder well Lord I've been serving you and yet all I seem to get is the opposite nothing's going right it's all crashing down you wonder God where are you God what are you doing Not that those are bad questions to ask. But here, take hope. Because Joseph endured this kind of struggle for years. And yet here, just like we talked about justice a few minutes ago, here, what we see, not justice, but blessing. God does know. He does care. He does have a plan. And God has not not overlooked Joseph or you or me. And so God's plan includes blessing for Joseph and his family, both right then and into the future. What do you do then with the the kind of the four elements of this last will and testament? How does any of this hang together other than, well, they're all brothers? Well, the picture we end up with is actually a gospel-shaped one, isn't it? The reality of sin, the need for forgiveness, the God who gives that forgiveness, and the transformation that being forgiven brings. And then, finally, the blessing that results. I mean, isn't this a picture of the gospel being worked out amongst a family and brothers and generations, one that will be fulfilled ultimately, not by law, not by how good or bad any given brother is, but by the cross, by our Savior, who's going to come from this very family line. This is a picture not only offered to 12 brothers oh so long ago, it's a picture of what Jesus directly offers to all who would follow after him. This is the blessing for those who are in God's promise. This is why it matters. Because this is given to all who are adopted into God's family. That offer is for you. For me. For that neighbor that you can't stand. For that person at school. Who seems to plan for co-worker that you have no idea what to do with, and for that face that stares back at you in the mirror each morning, and you wonder, is God doing anything with me, right? These are the ones, we are the ones whom this gospel is for, and so I ask this, where do you stand in the last will and testament of Christ? Blessings to his people. We're told there's a book in Revelation. Is your name in that book? What sort of reward will you receive? Because otherwise, it's the punishment that you and I are due. And here's the best part unlike knowing. of things again this we can know this you can have perfect assurance on because ultimately you can know the answer it depends on the Savior and the question is this what will you do with Jesus does he know you do you serve him that's our goal here at First E-Free it's to be disciples and then to make disciples So what do you need to do to grow in these truths this very week? Don't leave today without answering that question for yourself. Maybe maybe you haven't trusted Christ in this way. Maybe today would be the day. And if so, that's wonderful, dear friend. And and you know what? I, I have no name in mind, right? I'm not trying to aim this. Maybe the Lord is aiming this. Maybe there's someone here who you've thought you have been a Christian, maybe even for years, and you've realized, no, I hadn't quite got that right. You know what? Praise God. There's no shame in saying, "Okay, Lord, now I see." Right? Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to go do some work on your knees before the Lord this very afternoon. And if so, do it. Make the time for it. Right, maybe what it means is that you need to be one who shares God's work, what He is doing in your life, not just the the victorious stories that that we kind of love, right? You know the ones, you know, right? Everything was was awful. I was, you know, I was I was peddling drugs on the street and, you know, leading a gang, and you know, and that was when I was five. I mean. That's your story, and God's turned you. Praise God. But maybe it's far smaller. And what I've noticed in my own life, and I I think in many of yours, is that the encouragements that we need to be faithful, yeah, the, the huge miraculous ones are amazing, but sometimes we just need to hear of someone else who God has been good to in small, everyday, faithful ways. Someone that we can relate to. Someone where we can say, yeah, Cares for them. I bet he cares for me too, right? Could you be that for someone? Could you share with someone just something small and encouraging? Right? Maybe that's exactly what the Lord would use to grow them this week. And it's the Lord's work. Let's seek Him in it, trust Him for it, and I think that starts by trusting this picture of God that arises from His Word by believing that he is exactly who he's revealed to be, and then by asking us to transform us because of him. Let's do that now. Let's pray to be found faithful and joyful, whatever he has for us in the future, the things both known, and testament that is not even our own seems pretty far-fetched. And yet, Lord, just as we've seen here, that you can use these quarrelsome brothers who don't get along, and that's putting it mildly. You can use these sinful men who have done horrific things and yet out of our Messiah, our Savior. Father, truly, that tells us that forgiveness is deeper than we can even imagine and that your work is more powerful than we can possibly comprehend. Lord, let us not spend our days thinking little of forgiveness. Let us not go throughout each week just kind of ho-hum, drifting with a half-hearted But instead, would you help us to feel and to know and to believe in our heads and in our hearts that you are the God who transforms and uses sinful people. That you are the God who takes even the very mundane circumstances of our lives as well as good of your people. Would you help us to genuinely believe then? Not only the picture here, but the picture throughout the scriptures. Just as we heard read for us out of Ephesians that you have a plan. And that plan is to unite your people with our Savior that we would enjoy him forever. Lord, it's the best possible plan there could be. It's even better than we think. It's even more hopeful than we would dare to imagine. It's even greater than any of our cynicism or doubts. And so, Father, our prayer today is that would you help us to believe what you teach us in your word. And then would you have that belief drive us and change us so that we would be hopeful. Schools, to our co-workers and families, to those out and about in our community. Lord, so that the hope of Christ would go forth given by humbled people like us so that the joy, your joy and our joy would be made complete. Lord, this work is too big for us, but it's not Christ's name, do this work in your life.